before we move on to episode 205 of the special last dance edition of the hard parking podcast gotta let you know about talk mobile talk mobile is an innovator in retail and works with organizations like t-mobile operate stores out arizona oklahoma kansas and louisiana for more information and to jumpstart your career or to restart your career once we can all go back to work make sure you visit talkmobilenet.com our primary sponsor Welcoming Dennis to the hall is Phil Jackson from the class of 2007. Ladies and gentlemen, Dennis Rodman. Welcome back to the Hard Parking Podcast. This is the special Last Dance edition. This is episode 205. Coming back this week, we have Brian Calma, good friend of mine, diehard sports fan. Brian, glad to have you back on. Glad to be back on, man. Thanks for having me. This week, it's just you and I, so we'll probably end up talking for four hours. <laughs> right, right. It's what we did when we worked together anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Episodes three and four were fantastic. So what I wanted to do is um, I had some thoughts kind of after episodes one and two that I wanted to share with you. And All these right. are just random thoughts, either things I forgot to mention, and we could talk about them before we move forward. But um, first off, Jordan has back-to-back game MVPs as a losing. He was the MVP of game one and game two in the 86 playoffs against the Celtics which you don't see that very often. I did a little research, and Jerry West was the finals MVP as a loser in 1969. Uh, Jerry West averaged 38 points. That's right. I have heard that, yeah. When the Lakers fell to the Celtics. um, The Celtics. (laughs) Yeah, the Celtics of all. Of course, in other sports, Chuck Howley of the Dallas Cowboys won the Super Bowl MVP on the losing end in 1971. So, so do you remember when they were having the same conversation? I think that's when they brought up those some of those same examples with uh, with Jerry West and um, was it Chuck Howley? Is that who you just said? For, yeah, for Chuck NFL? Howley for the Dallas Cowboys. Yep. Yeah, because remember they brought this up. Uh, I think it was during the 2015 NBA Finals. So remember when it was uh, LeBron basically versus the Golden State Warriors, right? Yep. Yeah, yep. and then it was LeBron carrying the team, and I think they, he, I think the Cavs took it to six games, right? So if that's the one that they ended up winning. I did a little research on that. So whichever uh, year, maybe it was twenty sixteen, whichever one that they won in Game Seven, that's the year they were talking about it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, so yeah. it ended up not happening. I'm pretty sure it was twenty sixteen because I think it was the same exact year as the uh, as the Cubs won the World Series and broke the uh, broke the streak. So that's right. That was it was pretty- a great year for Cleveland. Yeah, that whole Midwest area just had, you know, a lot of stuff going on. So, so that, was, uh, that was 2016, yeah. That was 2016, yep. Because I had that Thai food and that fucking bitch made it <laughs> like triple X hot. And yeah, during game seven. Um, and then Dwayne Wade was in discussion as being the finals MVP when Miami lost to Dallas. Right. Because he was at the, like, I think through five games, he was, had the highest average of any player in NBA finals history. Right. And then LeBron couldn't post up J.J. Barea and the rest is history. <laughs> and also, Scotty had back surgery halfway through his contract, which right. was problematic for him. So they didn't really talk about that. So I can kind of understand maybe why Jerry Krause, not to give him an out, but right. was a little hesitant. So that's the notes I had from the last one. <laughs> Moving on. Episode three, Dennis Rodman. Right. What are some of your takeaways before I get into some of these topics? Well... One of the first takeaways is um, Carmen Electra is still fine. <laughs> so, <laughs> 50 years old, she's still looking good. And I noticed she, if she had any work done, it was probably very minimal because she still looks like herself. Props to Dennis Rodman on that. Um, but no, I think from, um, from the perspective of 
you know, the shows itself. Um, you know, one thing that really stood out was we all know Phil Jackson to be this coach who's won a lot of titles, right? I think 11 titles as a, uh, as a head coach, right? Um, I like part of the things that uh, was kind of brought back to memory was that he was also a champion as a, as a player, you know, with the Knicks. And I didn't know that, you know, before coming to the NBA that he had gotten a job as a head coach over in uh, Puerto Rico, was it? And then um, won championships there, you know? So it feels like at every stop that he went to, he won championships, you know? And so, like, a good part of his professional basketball career, whether it was being a coach or being a, you know, being a player, was winning championships. So that was a, that was pretty cool to see that. But I think the biggest thing was that, like, I liked the way that the the documentaries were produced in such a way where they were introducing uh, Dennis Rodman and doing like kind of like the mini biography, kind of like what they did at the beginning of one and two with Michael and Scotty, but then tying into it, like the history with the bad boy Celtics, you know? So I thought that was like a perfect bridge to kind of, you know, tread and, you know, kind of go back and forth on, on the timeline. Um, when they were looking at, Hey, here's Dennis Rodman. Here's kind of what his life looked like, but then let's go back to the Pistons because he was part of that bad boys group, you know? Um, so that was, that was pretty impressive to see how they told the story in that way. Yeah. It was like a well-written paper, right? Mm-hmm. Cause you have the main paragraph and then they're taking a sentence from each paragraph and they're highlighting a player. So we had mm-hmm. Scotty last time yeah. in, in episode two primarily. Yeah. And then we knew we were going to get Dennis in three and then four, we yeah. get Phil and then in four, and I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but in four, they bring back all the timelines because you have the right. bad boys pissing. So everything we learned so far, I think one of the cool things is, you know, Dennis Robbins studies his appointment, studied his opponents so hard. And I thought about, as a football fan, Deion Sanders, that's what they would say is he would sit there and he would study every wide receiver and he would tell yeah. them on the field. He knew what they were going to do before they did it. And they were always in awe because people right. think of him as a big time, you know, shit talker, but they said he didn't say anything right. when he played ball. And I think when Jordan said that, you know, Dennis Robbins, one of the smartest players to ever played the game, you right. know, that's high praise from him. And I thought that, you know, cause like, you know, I know when, when, when Michael shows the ball is coming off short, when Magic shoots the ball, I need to be over here. And I'm just like, he's like a true scholar of the game. And right. I, I don't know, I was just kind of blown away by that. Yeah, not a lot of people give him credit for the intelligence that he showed on the court. Because I think it's, a lot of it was kind of misdirected because of his antics, when he started color his hair and that kind of stuff. Like people didn't really give him the credit that, you know, that was due. Um, I don't know if you had watched the Dennis Rodman 30 for 30, um, you know, in his first few years with, you know, in the NBA with the Detroit Pistons. I mean, that guy was a workhorse, man. Yep. You know? And, you know, the scene where he was, where he was accepting the uh, Defensive Player of the Year award, you know, broke down in tears because, you know, he, he just kept saying, this is all I ever wanted. So people don't give him credit for the work that he did when it was in game day. Kind of like the anti-Allen Iverson, right? You know, right. <laughs> talking about practice but right. we're talking about practice like guys like dennis rodman were the ones who that's where they really like put in the work right um so yeah they people don't give them enough credit for being that you know and i think that one thing that stood out to me too was you know during uh some of the early parts of the show yesterday i think it was episode three where david aldridge said that he's the best on-ball defender that i have ever seen in my life you know and i really i really needed to think about that because i knew like 
okay, yeah, he was a defensive player of the year, you know, um, of course, rebounding champion pr- pretty much every year. But you never think of really the on-ball defense. But then the more I thought about it, it was like, how many times did he get to like little scuffling matches and, you know, get really get under his opponent's skin? And it was because of that. You know? Yeah, he was a bugaboo. He's the he's the guy yeah. on the playground that you hate to cover you because you're like this guy didn't even know how to play basketball. He's <laughs> yeah, all over exactly. me. Get the hell off yeah. me. Yeah, and you don't even have the ball, and you know he's on you like glue, right? Yeah, exactly, man. And he just won't leave your side no matter what. So yeah, that's that's perfect right there. I think going back to a younger Dennis Rodman because I had his book, or I have his book somewhere in storage, bad as I want to be, and it's one of the few books that I've actually read because I hate reading. I've read that and I read uh, like the Dion's book and stuff like that. Yeah. And I remember the story of him in the car, you know, claimed that he fell asleep with plans on probably killing himself. We won't really ever know, but I had forgotten that basically he was kicked out and basically lived in his friend's backyards for a couple of years. And that seems to happen with a lot of young people, regardless of, you know, the color of their skin. And it's just crazy that, you know, when you hear those stories, you're like, oh, my God. And then he just stayed clean the whole time and all he wanted to do was play ball. Yeah. And how about when yeah. he went to school? Because one of the narratives of him is it's like saying Dion can't tackle. And I hate to keep going back to Dion, but just there's some similarities in their stories for me as a super fan right. that, you know, Robin just he's a liability of the ball. He can't score in college, even though it's a small school. He averaged 27 points a game. <laughs> right. I mean, you look at that old footage and I saw a lot of that footage on the uh, 30 for 30 and they're like, you know, when you think about Rodman in the NBA, especially during the later years, he was really awkward, right? Like with his with his offensive game. Like when he'd make a layup or even a jump shot, he'd like put that fist pump in the air, you know, like he just, you know, won the championship. You know what I mean? But but yeah, you look at that old footage from from his high or his college days, and yeah, you could tell that he was the man. You know, he he was he was a top dog on his team. He was doing all the scoring. And and you think of it though, I mean for guys to get drafted, you have to be able to score. I mean, how many role players actually get drafted, right? So you have to have some type of ability to put the ball in the bucket. But it's just one of those things where I think that he just transitioned from, um, you know, from college to the NBA, knowing that when he got drafted by Detroit, all right, we got Isaiah, we got Joe Dumars, Microwave, Rick Mahorn, uh, Mark Aguirre. Like, okay, where do I fit in? Because he ain't going to get the ball, you know? So, all right, I'm going to go in there, go grab rebounds, play defense, which was things that he could already do. But it's just the way that he adjusted his game when he got to the pro level was what made him stay and eventually made him the best at, you know, two things, defense and rebounding, you know, and that was his ticket to the Hall of Fame. Yeah, and I think it was telling that, you know, Isaiah, and we'll talk about Isaiah in a, in a little bit later, but, you know, he said when Dennis came there, he was just a super raw, innocent country boy. And yeah. I listened to SVP last night. I don't know if you saw that or not, but, you know, he had John Sally on there and, you know, Will Bond and Jackie Mack. And Jackie Mack Mullen, she said she remembers she's been covering him for years and she's, you know, good friends yeah. with Dennis. And she said that she stood outside of the of um <clears throat> just before the player introductions. And when they said Dennis's name, you know, the crowd was booing and he had tears in his eyes. He's like, you know, why are they booing me? You know, he was right. just so raw and didn't, you know, understand. Right. And just think about the the player he became. And it's, it's almost as like he was, his childhood was so strange and atypical. Yeah. That by the time he, you know, he lost his father figure in Chuck Daly. Mm-hmm. He's, you know, longer, no longer his coach. And eventually, you know, he would, he would pass. It's almost just like wilding out, just like a, an 18 year old going to college. 
Yep, exactly. Yep. You know, started drinking, did the hair, did just, you know, whatever. Um, yep. Let's talk about, because I have some random notes here. And, you know, I want to I want to skip away from Robin for a second. And let's talk about Ron okay. Harper and, and okay. Craig Elo in that situation, because I didn't know that. Yeah, I didn't know that either. Yeah. That was a hilarious story. Do you think, because Ron Harper, he was, he's underrated. Mm-hmm. He's a valuable part of this of the second three-peat. He wasn't yes. the same Ron Harper because he had, I think it was like a knee issue, right? Because he used to be kind of like a right. high-flying dunker when he was with the Cavs. Yeah. But he was always been a pretty good defender, which, by the way, right. that Bulls team was stacked full of defenders, and no one ever talks about that because you had right. Dennis Rodman, mm-hmm. Scottie Pippen, Michael Jordan. Right. Two of them were Defensive Player of the Year. All of them were all right. defense. Yeah, you know, Scottie. I think, I think, yeah, I think, I think Ron was probably all defense second team. Right. You know, so four out of their five starting lineup, they could ball in the defensive end. But right. if Ron Harper is switched and he's on Jordan. Yeah. Do you think the result is still the same or do you think it might be you different? Know, you know, what's so funny, man, because the one thought that I had when I was watching it at, at that time was everybody knows, you know, the shot over Elon. Right. And then Jordan's in the air pumping his fist. Nobody ever thinks about the preceding plays. Like I didn't know, right? So it was really interesting to see that sequence of the final three plays of that game. So what I thought about was this, was that, okay, you had Jordan hits that mid-range jumper. They get a one-point lead. The next play, Cavs got the ball. Elo drives to the bucket, makes the layup. Cavs are up by one. Yep. And then they talked about that piece that you, you're just talking about right now. And I thought about you know, the whole Marv Albert, like, you know, shot over Elo, you know, and all that kind of stuff. What if, what if he did miss that shot? And the last like image of that game is actually Craig Elo hitting the final shot of the game and winning it for the Cavs. Like how much that would have like turned the world upside down and we'd live in this alternate universe. Right. But, but yeah, because that shot that he made over Elo and it probably doesn't matter who it was in front of him. Um, but that shot he made pretty much, you know, was part of, you know, the small events that changed the course for this Bulls team. You know, mm-hmm. it was like they just kept climbing the ladder, climbing the ladder, got past the Cavs, couldn't beat the couldn't beat the Pistons, finally got to beat the Pistons. But really, to answer your question, if do I think if Ron Harper was on him, would he have made I think he would have still made the shot. I still do. I agree. If you look at the just the physics of that play. No one was stopping Jordan anyway. There were no Jordan stoppers. But to get the ball, dribble left, stop on a dime, jump straight up, the defender is still trailing. The defender is going to go right past. He may look a little more graceful than Elo looked flying by. But then the double pump in the air, like nobody was doing that. So even if Harper was right there, by the time Harper came down, Jordan is still in the air and shooting the ball. So I I also think that he still makes that shot. And then, you know, no one's making fun of Craig Elo for the rest of his career because he was a damn good player. He was, he was, he was a good player. I remember when he came to the Sonics, you know, he, he had a, he had a good like one to two year run with the Sonics when, when he came over, you know, I, I think he ended his career there actually, but no, Craig Hula was always one of those guys when he thought of the Cavs from late eighties, early nineties, he thought Mark Price, Brad Doherty, Larry Nance. I know Larry Nance was probably earlier than that, but then Craig Hula was always on that list, you know, yep. I'm forgetting one or two players, but I mean, you know, he was definitely on the list of, you know, good players on that Cavs team. You're, you're right, man. That's it's, it's one missed shot away from who knows what happens. Right. Exactly. Right? I mean, exactly. we don't know. 
Um, but we'll, one thing we agree on is Ron Harper's not stopping Jordan no, from making that shot no, either. <laughs> I, I don't think so. I think probably the only person who probably could have, you know, maybe even got close to defending that shot was if, say, Brad Doherty was up on him and he was, and if he was on right, him. a center, close, yeah, close. Because yep. I mean, like you said, the double pump was what did it. Because if you look at Elo, even though Elo wasn't there on time, his hand was still up. You know. Yep, he was just so, flying by, like right. Yeah. Oh shit! Exactly. How is yeah. he still in the air? Yep. Fast forward back to the modern day, because I took some notes on this after the fact. Because what I do when I'm listening is I just whip open my phone and take voice notes yeah. Yeah. and ask myself questions and then go back. So we'll go back to current as far as 2000, as, as far as 1997, 1998 okay. era of Dennis Rodman. One of the things I noticed, first off, just a, a side note, and I don't think, I mean, I haven't seen people do this since Dennis, and I know it cost them a lot of money. He didn't care because he was genuine. Every game he would take his jersey off. Right. And and and, and throw it in the fans or oh, give it to somebody. And it doesn't have to be some dying kid, right. you know. Right. Just any random person. Yeah. And um good lord, that was awesome. And he did that with San Antonio. I think he started doing it with San Antonio. Yeah. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh continued with Chicago. Um, so now all all players do is they trade jerseys with each other. Right. Yep. So Rodman wants time off. And <laughs> That was a that was an awesome story, and and yeah. and I think even John, I think John Sally was saying it, or somebody was saying that they they had to hold on to that for all this time. Like nobody ever talked about that story uh-huh. of him going to to Vegas. I mean, we opened up about it with Carmen Electra, right? Yep. But thinking of the episode afterwards and the whole Jerry Krause dynamic, yeah, it probably didn't help matters much that. Phil says, Mike, what do you think about this? Um, what do you think we should do? And just completely blocked out Jerry Krause, the general manager, who was the one who really makes these type of decisions. That probably didn't do too much good. Right. Right. No, I mean, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, at that time, it's like, you know, that this team's going to get blown up anyway. So, you know, why not? Dennis needs a little bit of time. Um, shoot, let him go, you know? But I thought it was funny, though, that he consulted MJ about that. And um, even though MJ was like, hey, you let him go on vacation, he ain't coming back. You let him him go on vacation to Vegas, we know he ain't coming back. Um, But they went ahead and did it anyway, you know? And nobody knew about the story, like you said. And it's just those things. And I I touched on it um, on the last uh, episode of this podcast that one of the biggest things that... uh, you know, also caught my attention was the things that really made it tough for them to win a championship that year. So, you know, like with Scotty being injured at the beginning of the year, being out for a couple of months, um, them going on a little bit of a losing streak and not having a really great record to start off their season. And then you put in the fact that now Dennis wants to go on vacation mid-season, you know, Um, just all the different things that, you know, they had to manage in order to, you know, just, just keep winning and try to get that sixth title is just incredible. You won't see that ever again. I don't think that, you know, any team would ever let any of their players, let alone one of the superstars go on vacation mid season. You know, like you hear about some guys who leave the team for personal reasons. Like I think one of the most recent ones that I can think of is like Derek Rose when he was with the Knicks. Right. Oh yeah. Yeah. Everyone's like, what, what do you mean you haven't heard from him? Yeah, exactly. You know, who knows what, you know, why he really left and all that kind of stuff. But I think it's just, 
you know, so funny to, to hear that Dennis just wanted to go on vacation, go to Vegas and party it up. Hey, to his, to his credit, he came back and probably came back better than ever, you know, after that, uh, after that leave. Right. I mean, it's uh good Lord, the way they ended the episode with him getting on the bike. I mean, uh-huh. it's like, oh, what, what a way to end the episode, you know. Yeah, well, drinking a Miller Lite first before getting on the bike, right? I mean. Right. Man. man. And then uh, one of the things when they would show a little bit of him as a bad boy. Yeah. And, you know, they showed more of it in episode four. But one of the things that I just, I had an epiphany because one of the things they always say about players now is like they couldn't survive back then. And my thought is they're just two different errors. <laughs> and maybe they could survive. They would just have to adjust. You know, it's just, it's not what they're, they're used to, you know, yeah. but it's not like you're just going to, you know, zap the top 10 players back to the mid nineties. Right. You know, they would have came up in that era and they'd still be good players. They'd just be more physical. Right. Just kind of an interesting thing. I'm transitioning over to, um, episode four and I have a question for you. When you saw episode IV on the screen, did you think about star Wars? Of course. <laughs> I, I was like I, I made that as a note i go i wonder how many people saw episode iv and oh, thought star oh, wars of course man of course i did it was that's funny like, come on yeah that's yeah. funny um so this is the basically the phil jackson doug collins introducing yeah. tex winter yeah episode still with plenty of dennis and plenty of scotty right. um overall what did you think about this episode before we kind of jump into things yeah, like I really paid attention to the Doug Collins part, you know, because um, really, you know, before Phil Jackson, the only other coach that I had ever really knew that Jordan had had was uh, was Doug Collins. I really didn't know didn't know about Stan Albeck. I knew that Doug Collins was was the coach, and I really only knew Doug Collins growing up because he was a sportscaster. He was he was one of the uh, analysts, right, on all the telecasts. Yep. Um, I guess what I learned from this about it about him is that I didn't know how positive of an impact that he had um, on mm, Michael Jordan. Right. You, know, you, you can tell that they had a really good working relationship. You know, I, I think it's mostly because uh, Doug Collins really ran that offense through Jordan, you know, and 100%. He, wanted, yep. Yep, he wanted that. And I know that a little bit later on in the uh, episode, they start talking about the um, implementation of the, of the triangle offense and, and how MJ was kind of averse to it, you know, because, um, he, he was just fine with the way that the offense ran through him under the Doug Collins regime. And so just kind of seeing that and then the, the transition to eventually having uh, Phil come in as an assistant coach, and which, which another thing too is that like I didn't know that that's kind of the way that it was done back in the day because you think about coaching regimes now, whatever the sport, right, basketball, baseball, football, whatever, um, you hire the head coach, right, first, and then they bring in their own staff. But, right, right. But it was Jerry Krause, and he had to do it twice. He had to try it twice to bring Phil Jackson into the mix because he got uh, he got the thumbs down the first time he tried to bring Phil Jackson in there, and finally he got him into the second time around, right? Because he showed um, up dressed, as a, dressed like a hippie for an interview. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly, exactly, right. Which is funny, though, because did you catch – that's funny that you bring that up because did you catch the part when – they were going to bring, um, you know, Dennis Rodman into the onto the team, and then when Phil was talking about the very first time him and Dennis met, Dennis just sat there, you know, didn't even stand up to shake his hand, and then Phil was like, "Come on, Dennis, stand up. Let's shake yep. hands. Let's stand talk. up. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So it's kind of like almost, you know, that same first impression that Phil made, you know, when he didn't get the job, right? 
right? Like came right. in, underdressed and all that. So I thought that that was kind of a funny parallel between him and Dennis Rodman. Um, but yeah, that was one of the biggest things because growing up, I was just so fixated on the team, the team, the team, knew all the players and all that. But then, you know, I knew the coach's name, but I just didn't know kind of the transition from Doug Collins to Phil Jackson. And I thought that was a, that was a really interesting transition and in how it ended up. Yeah, because if you look on the bench, you see a lot of the same guys. You know, Jimmy Clemens was there forever, you know, yeah. and, and Chip Schaefer was there forever. And yeah. it's just like, I didn't know that transition either. I knew that Doug was in and then Doug was out and Phil yeah. took over. But um, I didn't realize that Doug's offense was basically just give the ball to Michael at the end of the game. And it makes sense why, you know, he had the ball in his hand the whole time. He kept scoring, but they couldn't really do anything. You know, and he started trusting, you know, his teammates even before the triangle. Right. Um, but I, I understand why. And I, I had heard and I, and I knew already that they were resistant to the triangle offense. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things I didn't know is that Tex Winter was pushing that since like 1960. So he'd been pushing right. that shit for like 30 years. Right. Right. Before they finally, you know, anybody actually gave him a chance. But um, it was I picture yourself as Tex Winter. I mean, he had to been. Like, he was just chill. I don't know if he had the master plan the whole time. Right. You know, but he's like, all right, I'll do what you want. And then obviously with Doug Collins being like, I don't like this guy. I'm going to move him, you know, somewhere else away from the bench. I'm going to put him up in the freaking scores table, wherever the hell he had him. I mean, that was kind of a defiant move. Right. And at that time, obviously, you know, Phil Jackson being the new blood, you know, he and Jerry Krause got along great. Right. And then eventually he, you know, you know, the the rest was, was kind of history. Um, so what about Jordan going to fetch Dennis Rodman? Like, can you imagine? Like, it couldn't have been just Jordan. Maybe it was just Jordan and his group of sniffers, which was a very awkward scene. Right, right. Yeah. Especially that first guy. Like, what was he? He looked like Larry Bird off of the video game. <laughs> right, exactly. What was that? Yeah. No, I couldn't, like, I, I, I really couldn't imagine, you know, Jordan having to go and go and get Dennis Rodman at that point in time. Because especially with, with Jordan being the guy who, you know, he is the face of the team, the face of the league. And then having to go out of his way in the middle of the season to go and get some guy who, you know, who he trusts to be one of his running mates and then to go and pluck his ass out of, out of Vegas. I couldn't imagine, uh, you know, just again, the pressure of having to deal with Scotty's injuries at the beginning of the year, the bulls not winning, you know, and having to, you know, then deal with this. Like, I, I don't even know. There, there must've been just like, you know, Jordan must've been just like a, a dormant volcano at that point in time. You know, I remember the Bulls struggling, and I I didn't remember why. And I always thought maybe because, I mean, they've won, you know, five championships. We're going for their six championships. They're the right. oldest team in the league. They're just getting worn down. Right. Because teams always, and really, if they're healthy, if Dennis doesn't hold out, and, if, and you know, in the middle of the year or the middle of the yep. summer, and, if yep. you know, Pippen is full strength, I mean, because they got off to a rough start. Yep. They got yeah. off to a really rough start. Um, and, and you think about, well, maybe they, their record wasn't great because they were bored. Right. But that's not even the case. I mean, maybe they were a little bit, but they just, they were just kind of struggling. And then the distraction with Jerry Krause and it's just, right. I didn't realize that. I, I guess I kind of remember now that Dennis kept checking out on them mentally, mm-hmm. but you know, that was kind of like, oh yeah, I forgot about that. But you know, they yeah. kind of explained more with his usage, you know, it's like, I, I, I don't want to have to be the man. And now I am the man behind the man. And now I don't, I'm not that guy anymore. I guess I'm not needed. I'm just going to go to Vegas or or whatever. Get my head on straight. 
Yeah. And I think that like, you know, out of any team that I'd ever seen to, you know, have multiple titles, you know, I don't, I don't know if there's any other team that may have had that much uh, weighing down on them, you know, it's probably because we, we don't hear, you know, all of the different ins and outs of what teams go through in a given season until, you know, after it's all said and done, you know what I mean? But yeah, when you add all that stuff up, you know, that you had just mentioned, I, I just, again, it's just astonishing to know that they still won the damn title. That would have broken any other team, I think. One of the things I have written down here in thinking about episode three and four is I really liked how they continued Rodman into episode four. And mm-hmm. then they brought in, you know, you got more of the Scottie Pippins story. And then when they're showing the Bulls, because it's like, okay, you have Rodman, you start three with Rodman. Yeah. You touch on Scotty a little bit. You touch on Phil, you touch on Tex Winter and Doug, and, uh, Doug Collins, and then you introduce a triangle and you show them going the first time and losing with the triangle, mm-hmm. going back the second time, and now everything's coming full circle. Now right. there's Dennis, the main guy from episode three, is a main right. guy in episode four, but as a member of the other team, the hated rival, yep. right? Yep. And then yep. the highlights, you, they show Jordan and Pippen putting in work. And this yep. is the first time so far in four episodes where you actually saw a large chunk of Pippen highlights for a right. section that wasn't just Pippen. It was finally about the Bulls. Right. Busting through that. And we also really started to understand the dynamic between Phil and Dennis, Dennis and Mike, Mike and Scotty, Scotty and Phil. Yeah. And it's like they had their, like those four, obviously they were the nucleus of the Bulls, but I mean, Jerry Krause, Reinsdorf, nowhere to be seen. No one cares right. about them. You know, right. the rest of the team, they're there. They're the role players. Um, yeah. But uh, I don't understand. So when they finally beat the Pistons, and there's this, I, I made a note of this, and maybe you were thinking the same thing. Maybe you weren't. I don't understand the relevance of Cool Modi's, you know, how they like me now. And it, and it looked like, you know, they were wearing the three-peat shirts already. So it's like they jumped yeah. through their first three-peat. Then they went back to the 91 finals. I mean, was I missing right. something? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think, it were, <laughs> I think it's probably just Easter eggs. You know what I mean? <laughs> Like with the three with the three peat uh, shirts and all that kind of stuff, because I kind of caught that too, and I was just like, "Wait a minute! If I'm doing the math right here, you would only be going into what the second one, you know?" And so I think that what it was just, you know, doing their editing and trying to get like cool shots in the middle of you know uh, panning from one subject to another, and it's probably the shirt that was inside like Jordan's jacket, right? That you're that you're talking about. Yep, when he was in the back of the bus or whatever the, yeah, or the flight, yeah. and, and maybe they forgot to put it in episode one because remember they opened up episode one just like we knew they would, yeah, with them doing the first three peat, right? You know, yeah. and it's just like it was it was a weird time jump for me. It just didn't yeah. really make sense. Yep. Um, going back to the finals. I remember watching on Hardwoods Classics game one of the 91 finals. Right. And we knew that Chicago was the underdog. Mm-hmm. And they lost game one. I want to say in either overtime or at, but I, I know that Jordan took the last shot and it went in and out. Right. So they yeah. were one, they were an in and out shot. Like it literally went boom, in and out away yeah. from sweeping the Lakers. Right. Right. And, and no then- one ever talks about that, but that's crazy. Yeah. And then, you know, they even, you know, talked about that and they were saying they were having a bad game. I think it was MJ who said that yeah. we weren't even playing that well and we still could have beat them. You know, yep. um, I was thinking what I was thinking about when they really started to highlight that uh, that 91 finals, though, was when I really started to get into NBA basketball was probably in the late 80s. Um, so I was probably like, what, nine, 10 years old at the time. 
And then it was pretty much in the advent of the bad boys. Cause I do remember being little and watching the bad boys, you know, win their two titles. Right. But then, you know, I had always liked the bulls too, because at that point during the Eastern finals, it was always Chicago and Detroit. Um, but then yep. it, it was my, my attention was always watching Jordan just, and I think it was his style of play. Right. Um, it really caught my eye. It was graceful. It was like moves you've never seen. Um, so I had always rooted for the bulls to one day be in the finals and be the Pistons. And then I really started to pay attention when uh, they went up against the Lakers um, in that 91 finals. And it was kind of like going down, you know, back down memory lane. And it was awesome. Uh, the one move that I had seen, and that's so iconic Jordan, is when he drives down the lane, goes up right-handed. He sees Sam Perkins down to the right, who he thinks is going to go up to block the shot, reverses in midair, goes up with the left hand. And, of course, they use that, you know, that image, you know, that replay for the Be Like Mike commercials for Gatorade and all that. Everywhere. Kind of everywhere right and then so you know that kind of brought back you know some really good memories seeing you know seeing that footage and yeah that was kind of my the start of my nba fandom so but I, at that point in time i didn't know that they were such you know big underdogs you know and it's probably just because like 10 year old me was like oh bulls please win please win you know because i just wanted them to win the title so bad but did not have any clue that they were such big underdogs going into that series I have a hot take about that shot. Okay. It might be the most well-known yet most unnecessary shot Jordan's ever taken in his True. career. Because <laughs> when you see it from True. the side, you're like, what are you, what are you looking at, bro? Yeah. yeah. There's nobody there. I yeah. mean, he's Perkins is but, there, but he's flat footed, yeah. you know? Yeah. You could say that he was probably showboating, right? Because you see all the highlights, right? And then, you know, he does all these up and unders, all these reverses and they're, they're contested, you know. Yeah, people this all around him. The least, yeah, this was probably the least contested shot <laughs> that he's ever taken, but it just looked so good. The camera angle was perfect too. I mean, everything about it was like you know a moment in time. But two big you're things right. out. Yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I was gonna say you're right. It's probably the most unnecessary shot that he's ever taken. But yeah, I'm glad. I mean, it's. I mean, I know that's kind of a hot take, but if you just break it down, you're like, what? Why? Yeah. Like, what there are we doing? No other defender up there with. No other defender up there with him. He says he saw he saw Perkins to his right. That's why he did it because he thought Sam was going to come up and try to block the shot. Muscle memory, I guess. Yeah, he was up in midair by himself. So, but yeah. Two uh, two big things I want to cover um, before we close. Let's go back to the Pistons and that big controversy. Mm-hmm. And I want to give Zeke actually a shout out for sitting here and doing this docu series. Yeah. Um, knowing that Mike probably hates his guts or, you know, still really dislikes him enough. And we don't know. I mean, they could be cordial, but Mike as a competitor could be like, I hate him when he's on the Pistons, but I don't hate him. Um, Some pretty funny moments, but you know, what are your thoughts about that controversy with, with how they left the court? And I watched, like I said, I watched SVP a little bit after this, so I got a little bit more context on it, but what are your initial thoughts? Yeah. Well, so it's pro sports, right? So I think something that we both can go back and forth on again too sportsmanship is important right well to a point i think because growing up i grew up playing baseball and basketball right my whole you know my whole youth they preach sportsmanship sportsmanship no matter good what game, good game good game good, good game, game. Have good game shake their hand after the game and all that um but i'm also i think i'm also of the attitude where if you are good enough to make it to the pro level i don't think that shaking hands at the end of the game is necessary i don't right because I think it's more highlighted in this scenario because 
it was two all-time great teams in the NBA, and it was in the Eastern Conference Finals, right? So a lot on the line, and everything is magnified. And, you know, especially in the way that the Pistons did it, you know, the game wasn't even over yet. And then as a group, and I guess it looked like Bill Lambeer was the one who kind of spearheaded it and was like, fuck this. We ain't shaking hands. Let's get the fuck off the court, right? So they go before the final whistle blows. You know what I mean? And then you got that panning shot of Jordan and, and the rest of the bench just watching them go on by. But do I think that, you know, it was kind of dirty Bush League on sportsman? Like, I don't know. I don't think so. Because they also had that um, piece in there where John Paxson called out, you know, where uh, the Celtics, you know, went off the court when the Pistons beat them, right? And then um, Isaiah actually went and grabbed Kevin McHale and then they, you know, they shook hands. But Isaiah had to initiate the contact first. So, hey, the Celtics did it. So why didn't get why didn't it get as much, you know, attention, I guess? Or maybe it did back in the day, but it's it's not as much highlighted because I don't think it's got that tie to the dream team either, like it does right now. But my biggest, you know, kind of conclusion about the whole thing was is that MJ made a big deal about it because for years the Bulls were just beat the fuck up by this team. They were the mountain that they just couldn't summit. And even though they lost all those Eastern Conference finals, Jordan and the rest of the team shook their hands, wished them good luck on the next round. And I think it's that big brother, little brother type of thing where your big brother kicks your ass over and over again. But when you finally get big enough and strong enough to win, you want that validation. You want them to at least look at you and address you and, you know, give you the pat on the back. I think really is that's that's what it's stemming from, because, you know, like I said, I mean, you get up to that level and shaking hands isn't a requirement. I mean, how many regular season games end and then both teams just go their separate ways? Except for like two or three people. And they were probably previous, you know, teammates on teams in college or on the pros, right? Right, so. yeah. Um, I think it's, it was Bush League and part of that was media spin. Mm-hmm. Um, looking back and knowing what I know, I still think it was kind of fucked up. But I think when Zeke said that, you know, Bill said, let's go. At first I was like, oh, there he goes, blaming Bill Lambeer, trying to yeah. trying to blame somebody else for this. Right. But John Sally said that it was Bill as well. And Bill, Bill said that, he goes, let's send them off the way that the Lakers, that the Celtics, you know, sent us yeah. off. Yeah. And I think part of it was because they just hated, the, you know, they were sick of the Bulls. The Bulls clearly hated the Pistons more than the Pistons hated the Bulls. It's like, it's like college football. We're both big college football. Right. You know, right, you know, fans, it's like Michigan and Ohio State are rivals. Right. No matter how badly Michigan State wants to call Michigan their rival, it's a one sided rival. That's right. Even though they're, you know, it's like here in Arizona, right? Because it was, yeah, what do they call it? The territorial code. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, ASU and and U of A, Mm -hmm. it's kind of the same deal. And Mm -hmm. so I understand why, you know, why the Bulls hated Detroit obviously you saw it in the documentary you saw it in all the footage forever um but I think a part of it was we don't respect them for beating us I think a part of it was well let's just do what the Celtics did to us you know as almost like a big brother the opposite way you're saying almost like you know what little you know little brother congratulations but you're not getting none of this you're not getting no you haven't done nothing yet right you know so I think some of it was that they haven't mm-hmm. talked about it, but one thing John Sally said was um, he actually asked Chuck Daly to go back into the game mm-hmm. to finish the game because he didn't want to walk past Michael because they were friends. 
So oh, he, okay. he actually asked to stay on the court. That's interesting. You know, and, and be respectful because, I mean, he felt, you know, he knew that that's what they did and it was a little disrespectful. Right. Um, but I think it's, I think in the episode, I think Jordan is actually a little wrong here, but I understand how petty he is. Yeah. Because he's not going to let anything go. Yeah. And, you know, Zeke, thinking back, you know, he said, yeah, we may have done, we, we, we may have done it differently just because of the backlash that we received. Right. You know, well, Bill Lambeer is the guy who says, no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't change a thing. Exactly. You know, but I think being able to think about it years later and be like, that probably wasn't the best thing to do at the time, regardless of how he felt. It was big of Isaiah to say that, you know, I mean, Jordan's like, he's probably going to say, thinking back, blah, blah, blah. But that's, that's, that's growth. There's nothing wrong with that. Right. You know, and I thought it was hilarious. Let me ask you this though, because this, this ran through my head also when they started talking about the 91 finals against the Lakers. So same kind of situation, right? So you got, it's not, it's not necessarily big brother, little brother, because it's different, different conferences, but the Lakers, and I believe magic with the Lakers had won five titles, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. And so they were going for number six bulls beat them in five. And the one thing that I thought was very interesting was when magic was talking about how he went over towards their locker room to go and congratulate Jordan, you know, shared a really nice moment, you know, big hug, congratulations and all that kind of stuff. Right. You strip away a lot of the layers though. And it's, it's very similar because the Lakers are past champions, right? The Pistons were past champions. I would say that the Lakers were just as big of a mountain to, you know, for, for the bulls to climb. Right. And it was for all the marbles this time around. So, so what do you think is the biggest difference in how, Magic Johnson handled this situation versus Isaiah handling the situation. Part of me thinks that maybe Bill Lambeer, you know, had a big influence on that because everybody says, well, Zeke was the ringleader on that show, right? He was the ringleader on the bad boys. But I think just looking at the footage from yesterday that Bill Lambeer was pushing for it and say, fuck this, let's just walk past them. No handshakes, nothing. You know, so what, what's the difference between how the Lakers handled it and how, how the Bulls handled it? I think that I mean, excuse me, the Pistons, not the yeah, Pistons. I got you. I think with the Lakers, Magic Johnson was clear, clearly their leader. He's clearly one of the biggest names. I mean, I don't think the, the bad boy Pistons were the bad boy Pistons. I mean, it sounds right. like nobody really respected them, period. Right. And you and you have Showtime, and he's a professional. You know, he's got this smile that can light up. You know, whatever. And so that's yeah. that didn't surprise me to hear him do that. I would expect him to do that. Yeah. But I think with the Pistons battling the Bulls so much, and then they had also said that Jordan had called them out. Right. You know, it said a lot of bad things about him. So, that, you know. Calling them actual bad people or something. Yeah, he said they're like bad that. people. They're bad yeah. champions. They don't deserve that. And so if you're a two-time champion, you're like, fuck this dude. He hasn't done nothing. He may be the best player right now, but he's not beating us. Right. You know, so I think the bad boys keeping up with, you know, their reputation and having some chips on their shoulders and finally getting their ass beat. Right. It wasn't close. They got their ass beat right. by their little shit-talking brothers. Uh-huh. You know, they're like, forget these punks. And I think, uh-huh. you know, for me, that's probably the biggest difference. What's your thought? Yeah, I, I think so, too. And I, and I also think that it's one of those things where it's, you know, it's the bad boys that they, they had to uphold that name. Um, kind of like the chip on your shoulder uh, kind of moniker that you, that you mentioned. Um, and I also think, too, that just kind of the difference with like with magic, you know, and you, you say that he was a leader of the team. Absolutely. Because, you know, when he was, when he was young and got drafted by LA, you know, he, you know, he learned under the wings of like Kareem. He had, 
guys like James Worthy on his team. And so they, you know, they weren't the bad boys. You know what I mean? It was, it was one of those things too, where I think just Showtime Lakers. Yeah, exactly. And also you think about it this way too. This just popped into my head and I can't believe I didn't think about this before, but then you look at back in the eighties, the biggest rivalry back then was the Lakers and the Celtics. Right. And it wasn't one-sided and, and it was a respected rivalry because it was actually a rivalry that started back in the seventies when Larry Bird was at Indiana State yep. and when when uh, Magic was at Michigan State. So they had been going at it since then. And then they get to the pros and they go at it and it's going back and forth. You know, they each win titles off of one another. You know, so I think that now thinking about it and talking it out with you, there was more of an appreciation coming from somebody like Magic because he he had his rival, but it was a different dynamic because him and his rival, him and Larry, weren't they weren't passing by each other. They weren't pushing each other off to the side when one of them won and the other lost. You know, there was a deep respect there. That's what I think is probably the biggest difference because Magic had a much different experience than than Isaiah had, you know, on his uh, on his journey to his back to back championships. Like, uh, you know, the NBA is in great hands mm-hmm. type of deal. Right. And I can rest easy. Yep. Type of deal. Yep. You know, and I think that a lot of people did see Jordan as being the guy who was going to be the torchbearer. And maybe that's something that that Isaiah saw and was like, well, shit, I ain't chopped liver. We've won two championships. We went back to back beating them. Right. And all y'all care about is the Bulls. Right. Exactly. So, you know, I mean, yeah, I can see I can see why. And like I said, it kind of goes with, you know, you know, the handshakes and the sportsmanship. Really, I mean, it's not required, you know, but I can see why. Especially if Jordan was going about him, going at him personally and saying shit, and that's that's what I heard Bill Lambert talking about on TV today was that that was kind of the thing that brought it over the over the cliff for him was that he was talking about us as people. He doesn't know our families and you know things like that. We were just basketball players. Do you believe him, Bill Lambert? Um, I think as a dad, and then you're a dad too. I believe that piece. I believe that piece where yeah, he doesn't know us as family men. But I also think that Bill Lambeer is one of the biggest bullies and, you know, punk motherfuckers. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, so it's not surprising that he would be, you know, the guy who'd be like, we're not shaking hands. Let's just go to the fucking locker room. I, I, you know, I think that he's 100% responsible for that action for sure. Yeah, because when they were going over the Jordan rules, okay, don't, if Jordan goes over here, double team him. If he goes over here and if he gets in the paint, put him down. Yep. Put his ass on the ground. And right. I mean, they weren't like, oh man, I don't really want to do that. It wasn't like, so one of our old school favorite movies, Karate Kid. Yeah. You know, it's not like when he told him to sleep the leg. Right. Uh-huh. You have a problem with that? No. Right. You know, he felt bad. He didn't want to sleep his leg, but right. yeah. like they were happy to do it. Yeah. Um, one last thing I want to talk about, and it's too bad we don't have more people on the phone yeah, or on this call because you and I kind of lean kind of the same direction on this. Right. Big time. This is a Phil Jackson question. And I thought about this because LeBron and Phil have had issues. You know, Phil had referred to LeBron as, you know, LeBron and his posse. Right. And LeBron blew it way out of, you know, proportion. Like he does a lot of things in the past. He's a little better now. But do you think watching this piece and seeing how Phil fit in well with the pieces on his team and how everybody, everybody respected him for allowing them to be themselves Mm-hmm. Do you think a part of that might have him, even if he never comes out and says it, maybe getting a little bit more respect for Phil Jackson than he's had in the past where he's kind of like this guy's from yesteryear. 
he had great players. That's probably why he, he won. He's yeah. just, you know, in the right place at the right time. Or do you think maybe part of LeBron is pissed off because he never really had a Phil Jackson because he, right. you know, he would just burn through coaches. He never had really a Zen, you know, like a Zen based coach. He has, he's had two that are pretty close. Right. Right. Um, um, but what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. So I think that, um, I never really agreed with the, well, Phil Jackson is a great coach because he had Michael Jordan and because he had Kobe and Shaq. I don't believe that because my biggest reasoning for that is because these guys that make it to the league who are superstars and who are paired up with other superstars, you know how many egos are going around in a very small space? The coach not only has to be a strategist when it comes to your X's and O's, but he has to be a strategist with how to juggle these, these egos and all these personalities was going on the court and off the court. And we touched on it earlier is fucking leading rebounder and defender going off to Vegas in the middle of the fucking year. How do you yeah. navigate around that? You know what I mean? So, you know, I know that for me that, you know, seeing a little bit more intimately how he did go about negotiating all of the different personalities in the room and bringing them together, you know, for one common goal, I definitely have a lot more respect for Phil Jackson because of you know, his ability to rein everybody in and, you know, to get them to, you know, get the final result. You know, you always, you always hear about him and being the Zen master and being, you know, having all these different ideologies and, you know, ways of thinking that he wanted to pass on to everybody. He was different, you know. I didn't know he fucking held yoga sessions on the court during practice and shit like that, you know? Yeah, I knew about that. I knew, yeah. I had no idea, but he did a lot of unconventional things that, you know, really... I think heightened everybody's mental awareness of the game. Like he knows every piece of that team from your superstar to the end of the bench made it to the league on their own accord. But as a unit, he had to be that guy to orchestrate this team to win their championships. And so, and I think at the end of it, um, for Michael to say, I will not play for any other coach other than Phil Jackson sounds a lot. And it's, it's interesting that you bring up, you know, LeBron in this case, because I really never thought about this. So this is really interesting to, for me to talk about this with you, because, you know, and I brought it up the last episode that LeBron is very demanding when it comes to what coach he wants, because mm-hmm. when he went mm-hmm. back to Cleveland, David Blatt was the guy. He didn't like him. David yep. Blatt was the coach, brought him to the finals, but he was gone the very next year. Um Tyron Lue comes in and I guess that was, you know, I can't, I don't know if LeBron handpicked Tyron Lue, but I mean, it was a good choice. You know, it was a very good choice. He goes over to LA. It was Luke Walton. Right. And now Luke no respect. Get him out of here. Yeah, exactly. Luke Walton's out. Now it's, um, what's his name? Frank Frank Vogel. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think one thing that now that I think about it, because you asked this question, um, Michael had such a, such a deep and profound respect for Phil that that's one aspect that I think LeBron will never have. LeBron doesn't like Phil Jackson. I don't think he respects Phil Jackson. Right. And, you know, he may have said all the right things about being respectful of him, but as soon as that whole posse thing came out, it became obviously clear that he tried to make it a race thing. And, you know, Phil Jackson's a racist. He's an old man, blah, 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 blah. I'm putting words in his mouth, but that's, those are the optics Right. But in watching, you know, episode four, you know, what do you think LeBron is thinking now that he's seeing how much people really appreciated Phil and who Phil really was as a coach? Right. Right. Yeah. I think that, you know, LeBron has to be, you know, kind of regretting his words. You know what I mean? And honestly, when, you know, going back to the whole posse thing, 
I don't think it had anything to do with race coming out of Phil's mouth. I don't think that I was, didn't. That was bullshit. That was those people yeah. trying to spin shit. Right. Exactly. I don't think that that was his you know intention at all. But, you know, I think at the very least with, you know, with seeing, you know, all of the, you know, background footage and then hearing Phil talk about all these different players, you know, he has to respect him in the way that he lets his players have freedom, you know, and lets them be themselves, lets them say what they need to say. You know, you can almost argue that during that time that Phil was heading up the Bulls and he might have done this as the Laker coach too, but he was holding a, the epitome of a democracy, right? He was letting his players, especially the leaders, have their say, you know, and he was letting the guys who needed to lash out from time to time do what they needed to do. But still would step in and mm-hmm. put his foot down when he had to. I wonder Absolutely. how many players are watching that last night and they're thinking, man, Man, I wish I had Phil Jackson, man. That's yeah. so dope. That's so dope. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why I'm saying, like, I, I never had subscribed to the idea that, you know, just because he had some of the greatest players of that era between Michael, Scotty, Dennis, and then having Kobe and Shaq, that that's not what made Phil Jackson a great coach. I mean, again, going back to the beginning of this episode um, on, on this podcast, I didn't know that he was a champion, like, in... Puerto Rico, right? right? Right. I mean, I knew he won some in the NBA as a player, but yeah, exactly. Man, that's some was, funny shit. He was a champion at every level. So no, like seeing all that now completely after watching these two episodes that, yeah, you can't, you can't knock Phil for just having superstars because any lesser coach would not have gotten the job done. Right. I mean, you could argue that Doug Collins was on the doorstep of being the guy. Right. Yeah. But he didn't, he didn't want to accept that offense. Exactly. Because I was just going to say that he, he was one decision away from being the guy having Phil Jackson on his bench and Tex Winter on his bench too, and possibly still being champions. Jerry Cross was a GM. He probably, you know, eventually would have maybe done the same, you know, moves in, in, in terms of their personnel. You know, Phil was the guy. So what do you want to see in episodes five and six? So I, I saw some teasers and read some stuff about maybe, um, and I don't know if this is true, but are they are they inserting some Kobe Bryant stuff in the next uh, couple episodes? I think so. Yeah, okay. I think so. It's, it's yeah. probably a lot of Kobe interviews. Yeah, I'm, I don't think I'm quite ready for that yet. And and um, one one subject that I was hoping that we were going to touch on on this you know podcast episode was um, the Dream Team, right? Um, we because, still can. Yeah, because one of the things that I think, you know, they touch on a lot and, you know, over the years that they have is that because of the way that things ended with the 91 Eastern Conference Finals, was that kind of uh, the final nail in the coffin, you know, when it came to Isaiah not being put on that dream team? Because if you think about this, right? And here's, been. here's the two things that stick out of my head about this. So I had watched the dream team documentary on NBA TV twice in the last couple months, right? Um, so they lightly touched on Isaiah Thomas. Number one, the thing that I thought was super interesting was that I forgot was that Chuck Daly was the head coach, right? The head coach How can you forget that? Yeah. Right. So you would think that, well, why would Jordan, you know, you know, joined up and, and the thing was Jordan already won a gold medal in what was it? 84, 88, 84. Yeah. And he, he and Chuck had actually a good relationship outside, which was kind of interesting. Right. Right. And I know that, uh, and they also pointed this out in the documentary too, that, you know, Jordan really was hesitant to do it, right? Because he, he didn't want to do it. Gold. Yeah, he, he won the gold. And, you know, who knows if the, you know, if there was anything to do with Chuck Daly being the head coach of the Pistons, not necessarily Chuck Daly himself, but because of the, you know, the tie to the Pistons. But yeah, 
if you think about it also, they, you know, why the hell did they reserve a spot for a fucking college guy, right? It ended up being Christian Leitner. And all these years later, you think, well, it shouldn't have been Shaq, <laughs> you know, because Shaq was the number one uh, draft pick the very next year or right at 92. But if they had taken that spot and not given it to a college player, then maybe that would have been Isaiah's spot, right? So Yeah, yeah, that's, yep, that's what they say. Um, yeah, man, that was right on the heels, and I can understand how a young, bitter, hell, we just saw an old, bitter Michael Jordan last night, and I can definitely see how a young, bitter Jordan was like, I don't want to do it, I don't want to do it, I don't want to do it, fine, I'll do it, but not if you bring Isaiah. Right, and I think that would have been the deal breaker if, you know, if Chuck brought him on. But imagine being Chuck Daly, and, and I'm sure that Isaiah was waiting for the phone call, right? Because Yeah, I wonder what that did to their relationship. Exactly. Right. Because you start hearing because one of the things, too, was that Michael was like waiting for who else was going to sign up to do it. Right. So then Scotty's in Barkley's in, you know, Magic and Larry are in. Once he heard all these names, minus Isaiah, you know, that's when he was like, OK, count me in. Let's do this shit. You know. So going back to episode um, five and six, I don't. Because you're right. It seems to be trending toward Kobe for at least one of them. And I don't really understand why, at least yeah. um, right now. I don't, yeah. I mean, yeah, he was in the league by then, <laughs> you know, but it's just, I, I don't know. It's just, it's just like we said last time, it's still building the case for Jordan, letting all these yeah. young bucks know that they were a great team. He's the goat. Right. And I mean, that it, it is what it is. He signs off on all this stuff. Right. I'm not going to complain because we get to see it. Right. But I'm I'm curious to see, you know, take this obviously I'm taking nothing away from Kobe Bean Bryant. Right. Um, but I'm just curious to see where they're gonna go with this. And, you know, are we gonna see Tony Cook coach, you know, right. and uh because he was a pivotal part of that team, you know, maybe we see more Ron Harper. I think they're probably gonna go through the starting five. Yeah. And I know Ku coach came off the bench sometimes. Mm-hmm. But um I don't know. I'd like to see something, some Tony Cook coach. Yeah. And I think that, you know, uh, you know, like some of the um, marketing uh, posters that they put out there on, you know, on commercials and stuff always have Steve Kerr on it. Right. So I'm noticing that. Yeah. I'm wondering if they're going to go into Steve Kerr, because if you don't know Steve Kerr's uh, story, his father was a teacher that taught overseas. and I think he was in Beirut, Lebanon at the time. And then his father was actually killed. He was like assassinated. I think it was. Yep. While while Kerr was playing at the University of Arizona. So. Um, you know, and of course, famed coach of the, uh, you know, of the Golden State Warriors. And, it, you know, he's got a lot of spots, you know, in, in the first four episodes where he's doing some commentary, you know what I mean? So, um, he, and- um, as you say, he, he, uh, he started some of those games too, you know, depending on who they were playing, it would be Ron Harper or Steve Kerr. Yeah. Um, I, my thought is the reason why he was on there is just for these young people to have some sort of recognition for somebody who's relevant in today's, because right. honestly, he really has no business being on the cover. He was a great shooter, yeah. right? but you know, that should have been Harper. That should have been Ku coach. Right. You know, um, I don't see why it's Jordan Pippen Rodman. And then over in the corner, you know, it's randomly Kirk, just throwing yeah. in a Steve Kerr, you know, yeah. it's just, yeah. you know, no disrespect to Kerr. He's got some rings and he's, he did work for those rings yeah. for sure. He was, he was a valuable, he actually, he won one of the games for him. Yep. Yeah. Him and Paxson kind of have that parallel, right? Between the yep. first, being the last three because they both hit game winning shots. Yep. So, yep. It was Paxson in 93 against the, uh, against the Suns. And I think it was the first victory against the, um, the jazz. I think it was the 97, 
uh, series that could be, uh, yeah, Tiger, you know. So, yep. Thanks for being on. We'll talk again next week. Yeah. We'll see what happens. Yep. All right. Thanks, Brian. I gotta go eat dinner. All right, man. Looking forward to it. Uh, let's do. Uh, let's do steak. That's tomorrow night. All right. <laughs> All right. Later. All right. Later. I want to thank Brian Kalma for joining the show this week. We were down a couple guests. We'll pick it right back up next week. One more thing about Dennis Rodman is it's it's good to see him get a lot of this shine because a lot of people didn't like him. He was public enemy number one, and that was the biggest thing that was confusing to have him on the Chicago Bulls, a team of excellence. Rodman wasn't perfect. You know, he got in a lot of trouble, you know, kicking reporters, you know, um, just doing a lot of crazy shit. You know, one thing I remember is the announcers, the the game announcers. They weren't very kind to him either. You know, they were always very one-sided when it came to him when they were doing commentary. Like, it didn't matter if the other player did it first. You know, Robin did it second because he's just such a terrible personality. He's a drain on the league. He's a drain on the Bulls. It's interesting looking looking back through the optics of history on how things can change over time. You know, history forgets the small stuff. And I think Dennis Rodman is a classic example of that. Can't wait to see what happens in episode five and six next week. Like I said earlier, we'll be joined by more people. Still need to thank my sponsors. Special thanks to the Passion Hi-Fi for providing the royalty-free music off of SoundCloud. If you guys like what you heard, please subscribe. And you can also support. There's a little support link on the main anchor page. Doesn't take a lot. But make sure you tell somebody about this podcast. This isn't a sports podcast, although I consume sports literally 80% of my day. I can pretty much talk about anything. Talk about sports, talk about music, talk about cars. So remember that when you tell your friends, when they ask you, what is a hard parking podcast? Is it just cars? Eh, everything but. We'll see you next time, next week, on this last dance edition. This is episode two of five. Talk to you again on three of five. I'm out. Shut up!